Proverbs 13, if you turn there, we are just beginning a series on overcoming. We're going to deal with these next tonight and four more weeks. We're going to deal with um, topics where a lot of a lot of uh, people battle with. There are situations in life that you have to deal with. Last week, we looked on the topic of depression, and I appreciate the, the feedback from that. And, and um, tonight, um, tonight, I'm going to deal very gently, really every week. I'm not going to, the topic matters that we're going to speak about, none of these topic matters are, are fun. Um, they cause a lot of heartache. They cause a lot of grief. Um, we're not going to approach them in a humorous way. Um, I'm going to be very, very careful. Tonight's topic is going to be on the topic of marriage. You can apply this to relationships that you have. You can apply this, maybe, maybe you, some times that you sit down and try to give some advice. Um, you use this wherever you can. I also want to make sure that you realize this. A lot of times we come to church and we say, boy, if, if this person would just get this, boy, things would just be wonderful. Tonight I'm going to talk about, in this, this series, I'm going to talk about things that, that other people need. But if you approach these like this is good for someone else and you don't realize that God's got something for you, you're going to miss out. Especially on this topic here, this wisest man in the Bible. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs quite a bit. Tonight, I need you to just leave your Bibles open. We're going to be all throughout Scripture um, this evening. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, verse number 10. Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. That uh, word pride, arrogance, um, presumption, uh, insolence, all of those things cause strife. Whatever relationship that you're in, there's always a potential for strife because we're human beings and we all battle with pride. How many of you like things the way you like things and don't like people to mess up your way of life? How many of you, we don't ever want to think of ourselves as easily offended, but how many of you like to be critiqued and someone to tell you to me? One person. His wife has trained him well. <laughs> the reality is this, that those things affect our pride. Those things, it, it's tough to take a look in the mirror after someone's revealed something to us and say, you know what? You're right. That's hard. But in any relationship, whatever relationship that is, there's always a potential for dysfunction. There's always a potential for hurt. There's always a potential for, for um, uh, a failed relationships because there's always pride inside of us. In the Bible says where there's pride, there's going to be contention. And so this evening, I, I want to look at, and I want to give you um, several, several things tonight on how, how to overcome in my marriage. How can I overcome, be an overcomer? I, I don't want to go through any relationship in life that I have just mundane status quo. 
And I hope tonight you would say the same thing. And tonight we're going to deal with this, this area, this topic of, of marriage. And how can I overcome? The first thing I want you to, if you're taking notes or writing things down, write this down in your heart. Number one, you've got to prioritize your marriage. It's got to be a priority. It's got to be something that you work on. It's got to be something that is important. Many of times, many start to many failures in this marriage relationship is the fact that one partner or both partners have not taken the attention that this marriage is needed and made it a priority. If you were to mail a letter, you can mail a letter very easily. You put, I think, a stamp of 50 cent stamp on a letter and you can get it anywhere you want it to go. The problem is you don't dictate what time it gets there. You don't even know how it's going to get there, if it's going to be in one piece when it gets there. How many of you ever got a piece of mail? It was ripped in two and they put it in a special envelope. Sorry about this. Uh, you know, There's no care for it. But then if you pay extra, if you want it to go, you can say, I want it here at this time. I want special care. I want to make sure it gets where I want, how I want. They pay, they pay special attention. What is that called? Priority mail, right? It's extra. It's extra care. And we need to look at our relationships and realize this. We need to take a priority. And the problem with that is we all have pride. We all have issues. Blind assertion that things are okay when they're not is not good for a marriage. Be very careful if you begin to look at your relationships and say, you know, everything in my marriage is fine. Everything's fine. I don't care how long you've been married. You can't always have everything fine. The reason why is because there's two sinful people in a relationship. You, you, can't, you can't have anything and not maintain it, not put a priority on it, and think that that is going to last forever without ever any problems. It's be careful not to say, you know what, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm not worse than my brother's marriage, and I'm not as bad as my cousin's marriage, and so therefore I must be fine. Be careful that you're not putting your relationships up against somebody else's relationship. We should always put our relationship up against what the word of God has to say. Because you can always find someone better and you can always find somebody worse. And be careful that you're not using somebody else's relationship to dictate how good your relationship is. A lot of people might say this, I'm not as bad as my brother is, so you're married to a pretty good, you got the better of the brothers. Because I'm not as bad as him. How would you like to be married to him? How would you like to be married to my sister? Be careful not to to do that in realizing this, in every relationship, there's going to be a potential for strife. But change comes when someone acknowledges that there's a problem. Have you ever had your wife tell you after a period of time, hey, there's, a, um, there's this knocking noise coming or this squeaking noise coming um, in, the, in, the, in the car? Better look at that. How long has that been? I, I don't know. It's been, I don't know. It's been about a month and a half or so. Not that I'm, I'm using somebody else's illustration. This would have never happened with my wife. It's been a little while. Don't you think it would have been good to like let me know that 
Oh, and by the way, the, um, the wheel fell off tonight on the way, and it, it stopped knocking, though, you know? It would have been good to know that information before it got so bad. Yeah, the engine light, yeah. How long has it been on? I don't know. Change comes, though, when someone acknowledges that there's a problem. And listen to me, just because you acknowledge that there's a problem in the marriage, that's not the end of the world. So many people don't want to acknowledge it because they don't want to face it. And by not acknowledging it, all you're going to do is you're going to kick you for you. And now what you've done, if you're you, you put more baggage, you're going to put more time, you're going to put more, more negative things into that marriage because you didn't deal with it when you should have dealt with it. Do you know every vehicle needs more than just gas? And sometimes if we're not careful, we think it by putting something. If, I just, if we just go on a vacation, if I just put something into this, then we can get down the road. And sometimes those things don't fix a marriage. Sometimes we got to get a, a really good look at what the issues are, what the problem is. And I want, you to, I want you to write this in your heart, please. And if you get nothing from this first point, get this, please. If you don't admit or acknowledge when there's problems, there's no way forward in your marriage. Please get that. In order for you to have a way forward, at times you have to acknowledge there's things that we have to work on. I want you to know this. Every marriage has something to work on. A lot of people think, man, I think maybe I'm the only one. No, every, every marriage... A marriage that's moving forward is a, is a marriage where people are consistently working on things that need to be worked upon. And listen, you don't have a good marriage just because you want one. How many of you want a good marriage? How many of you want something really, really, really bad? How many of you want a million dollars? A million dollars would be nice. Guess what? I can want it all day long. It's not going to just show up in my account because I want it. You're not going to have a godly marriage just because you say, I want one, therefore I'm going to have one. You're not going to, you're not going to have a good marriage because you tell people, I have a good marriage. You, you, you won't have a good marriage just because you teach a class on how to have a good marriage. I can give you a list of pastors who have failed marriages and they've taught and preached on marriage their entire ministry. None of those things make you have a good marriage. The only way that you can have a good marriage is when you work on your marriage. It takes work. You get better at what you work at. I came home from golfing last night and I said to my wife, I said, boy, I, I'm becoming a pretty good golfer. And she said, you should as much as you golf. I said, wait, what is that supposed to mean? And she's well, if you come home and say you're not, I would say you're wasting your money. You golf enough. You should be a good golfer. I said, that's, I'm not golfing. It's fellowship with other men in the church. That's what I call that. But the reality was this. She was right. You do get better at what you work on, what you put a priority in. The things that you're good at in life are the things that you put a priority in. I want you to turn to Proverbs. You're probably right there, just a page or so over. Proverbs chapter 15 in verse number 17. Proverbs number 15, verse number 17. The Bible says this, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a star. He would say this, I am looking forward to going home 
And I hope my wife has five or six good herbs sitting on a plate for me for dinner tonight. I mean, doesn't that sound good? How many of you can't wait to have an herb dinner? The Bible says here, it's better to have that with love than to have a steak every night and there be hatred. It's better to have little, have nothing, have, have that, that lettuce every night than to have something like a steak where there is contention and hatred. It's better to live on lettuce with love. You know, you don't, you don't please yourself. You don't, so many people think this, material things or going away on a dream trip. If I, if I just do these things, that might just fix what is wrong in my marriage. We need to be careful because material things and those types of things, you can have, you can have steak every single night but if there's something wrong, something thick that needs to be fixed, if there's hatred, the Bible says you're better off having little, nothing, salad, herbs. This is the thing. I want you to realize this tonight. It is hard. For time, at times, it's, it even hurts to prioritize your marriage. And the reason why is this, you have to die to yourself. And that's not easy. Now, maybe there's some in this room, you say, no, I've got that figured out. I, I am the most humble. I am the most sincere. There's no flesh, no old man inside of me. I am just the husband everyone needs to model. The reality is this, it's not always easy because we have this pride in us and that pride can cause contention, and it's difficult to prioritize your marriage. It takes hard work, but it's what God desires. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 18. I keep moving only because that sun keeps hitting me here. Proverbs chapter 18. The Bible says this in verse number 22. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and what? Obtaineth favor of the Lord. You might be thinking, so who are, who are you going to get tonight? A lot of times we talk about marriages. You know what we end up doing? We end up beating up one, one spouse or the other. Well, men, if you would just do this, bless God, everything would be fine. Or women, you know what you need to do? You need to do this. And the reality is this. God's provision for a, what a woman needs is this, a godly man. You know what a woman needs? A godly man. Do you, do, you, do you know this, though? It doesn't stop there. God's provision for what a man needs is a godly woman. You know what God desires in your marriage? Two things. Number one, a godly man, and number two, a godly woman. That's the recipe for a blessed marriage, a marriage that's moving forward, a marriage that is, that is a godly relationship. Genesis chapter number one, just flip over there. Keep your place in Proverbs. We're coming back there. Proverbs chapter, or Genesis chapter number one, the Bible, we're gonna find the beginning of this man and woman. The Bible says in verse number 26, 
Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26, and God said this, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him male and what? Female created he them. The Almighty God in his plan for us created man and woman in his own image. When he created man in his own image, they are equal in the image of God, but different in what their needs are for each other. How many of you would say this? You've got one thing figured out. Men and women are different. How many of you got that part figured out? Amen? You're raising a lot of girls in the house. I'm figuring that out really, really quick as well. I was... I say this jokingly, but it's true. There's times I just say, Michelle, help. I don't, I don't, what, what's wrong? I don't know. Figure that out. Like they're speaking woman language there. I'm not sure what's going on. They need their mom to, to deal with them right now. I want you to write this down. Number, number one, you must prioritize your marriage. And we're going to go here, so we're going to pick up some speed here. Number two, you've got to acknowledge your sinful bent. I want you to look at the person next to you and I want you to say this, I'm bent, I'm crooked, I'm bent. You're not perfect. I want you to look at the person next to you and say this, you're bent. That tell them, yeah, you're bent, you're broken. Genesis chapter three, look with me in Genesis chapter three. I'm gonna show you that you're broken, you're bent. So often, if we're not careful, we think that, you know, if, if my spouse was perfect like me, there would be no problems. Listen to me closely. There's no such thing as a perfect spouse. If you haven't realized this yet, you married a human being. Therefore, they're sinful. And the Bible tells us here in Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 16, because of that, the Bible says, uh, uh, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Why? Because of sin. The consequence was sin. He said, all right, I'm going to deal with you, woman, first. I'm going to greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. He didn't stop there. He said, man, Adam, verse number 17, because thou hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And what's the consequence? In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also in thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return into the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. You know what happened? Because we, because of sin, all of us have come through Adam and Eve, this line of sinful human beings. Because of that, none of us are perfect. All of us are bent. There's going to be now with issues with woman. Number one is going to be this. They are, to, they are they, the Bible says they are, uh, to, the husband is to rule over them and their desire is to be thy husband, and guess what women do? They resist that. 
And to the man, you know what the man is? The man, you are going to have to be consumed. You're going to have to till the ground. You're going to have to work. And men are consumed with all these things, providing for their family. Providing doesn't come easy, but you listen to me. You know what comes easy for men? Distractions. Distractions. No longer is it just going to be you and your bride and and consumed with that. You know what's going to happen? Now there's going to be tension and contention. Now there's going to be things, the consequences of sin. I'm going to have to now, woman, now there's going to be a place and you're going to resist that. And man, there's going to be distractions in your life. You're not going to just be able to, to spend all of your time with your wife meeting her needs. You've now got to go and supply. You've got to work. And there's a lot of distractions that come. Women are now inclined because of this. They're inclined not to accept that role. And men are inclined not to give what they're supposed to give because they're so easily distracted. Proverbs, go back to Proverbs, if you would, please, in verse number 27, or chapter number 27, I'm sorry. Proverbs 27. Stay with me. Because of this bent... Oh, we bring joy, we bring love, we bring affirmation, we bring attention, we bring all of this into this relationship, but you know what else we bring because of this bent? The Bible tells us this in verse number 15, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. So what does that mean? Drip, 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 drip. Drip. You know what they do in war when they, one of the ways that they take a POW and they'll take and they'll put a continual drip of water. You know what that continual drip of water does? It drives someone crazy. How many ever have been woken up or can't sleep because there's a faucet that's dripping and it drips and you go to shut it off? And before the end of the night is over, you have ripped that thing out of the wall because it's driving you insane. Drip, 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 drip. Because of sin, because we're bent, you know what the Bible here says, ladies? A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious women are alike. Do you know what men hear? When a woman is contentious, drip, 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 drip. You put a drop of water on a hard surface for any length of time. You know what that drop of water will do? It'll end up putting a hole in cement. Drip, drip, drip. The Bible goes on to say this, look in verse number 16, whosoever hideth her hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand which bereath itself. You know what he's saying there? To restrain her is like trying to restrain the wind. How, when's the last time you went out and you grabbed the wind and made it stop? The Bible says, you know what it is? Now, hold on, ladies, I'm just, I'm just reading the scripture here. We're gonna get to the men in a minute. A contentious woman is like going out into the wind saying, stop, stop. I'm trying to help you to know this is how men think. 
This is when you think, well, no, they, I, I just gotta, I just gotta keep giving. Maybe, maybe just one more time. If I tell him one more time all of his problems, you know what he hears? Drip, 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 drip. He describes it as contention. And only that dripping can stop. Only the dripper can stop the drip. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of your husbands have ever said to you, just get off of my back, please. Stop. Just, okay, I've heard you enough. Stop. And, and, and for some reason, the, the, the one that's dripping says this, well, okay, I've got him. I'm just going to a little bit more, and maybe he'll really understand this time. And that little bit more that you think might help that time pushes your husband farther and farther away. Because he doesn't see it as help. He sees it as contention. And only the one that's dripping can stop the drip. Listen, only a godly, humbled, persevering, Christ-filled woman can stop the bent of drip. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter, New Testament chapter 3. Stay with me, please. First Peter chapter three, the Bible says this, likewise, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold their chaste conversation coupled with fear. Listen, in this situation, it's the conduct of the wife is what changes her husband. Instead of the woman drip, 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 and the husband say, man, I've heard it enough. Telling me one more time isn't going to solve this problem. You know what the Bible says in 1 Peter? Stop the drip. And this is the problem. Sometimes she says this, I have a right to drip because of what he has put me through. I want to tell you this. That is... That is humanly speaking. The reality is this, all of us, if we want to concentrate on ourselves, humanly speaking, all of us can make an excuse. But humanly speaking, we don't come to church, we don't get into God's word to hear humanly speaking. We come to hear from the Lord. We come to hear what the Bible has to say. And listen to me closely, husbands and wives, listen, please listen to this. Humanly speaking, and what the Lord has to say most of the time are polar opposites. Because if we could figure it out without the Lord's help, we wouldn't need the Lord. And you can't have a godly marriage if you think that you can figure it out on yourself, has to say. You will get further, you will get farther in your marriage by loving, by respecting that man and, and, and looking, looking at him at times and doing this. Just stop. Just stop. I've said to marriages, if I've said it to one, I've said it to a hundred marriages that I've canceled. Just stop. No, I, I, this is my chance to, to unload it's not going to work. It just builds contention. Sometimes the best thing, I've got one of those girls, our youngest, 
has to have the last word in everything. Oh, and it drives me crazy. I mean, and there's times I've said, Chloe, just stop. Just stop. You're, you're, you're not fixing the problem by always having to have the last word. Sometimes godliness is just zipping it. Stop. You with me? All right. It's Proverbs 12. Stay with me. Proverbs 12. Verse number four, the Bible says this, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh ashamed is as rootness in his is rottenness in his bones. A, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. You know what a crown is the longest lasting emblem of status. You go back 3,000 years, you know what an emblem of status is? A crown. When one king would destroy another king, you know what he'd take that crown? He'd put a crown upon his head. It was an emblem of status. And the Bible here says this, you know what a, a wife is? You know what a virtuous woman is? It's an emblem of status. But also the Bible here says, but the root, uh, or, or uh, but she that maketh ashamed is as, as rottenness in his bones. Look with me in Proverbs. Stay in Proverbs. Look at chapter number 27, if you would, please. Chapter number 27. You know what, men? We're bent too. Proverbs 27, verse number eight, the Bible says, as a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Listen, you know what the... the Proverbs is the, the, the wisest man in the world saying here, men, men, be in your home. Men are always wanting to wonder. You know, when you're done work, you know where men ought to go? Home. You ought to go home. When, 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 when you're finished supplying, you should be at home meeting the needs of your wife. This is the problem in society today and in and, and, and a lot of marriages today, they're so busy. You know when they see each other? When the, the uh, lights go out, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're, they're ready for bed because tomorrow is work and they've not done anything together and they think they're going to have a godly marriage by never spending time together. Men, stop wondering, stop being gone, stop being everywhere and be home and be to your wife what your wife needs you to be because she can't find it from anyone else but you. So very something very practical. You know what you need to do? You need to play a game with your wife. You need to have a movie night with your wife. You need to fix things at your home. You need to, you need to be there and, and work and supply and, 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 and build a life with your wife. Somebody, if you're not careful, you start saying the grass is greener on the other side. And, and I've always said this about the grass is greener. You know why the grass is greener on the other side? Most of the time, because it's over a leach field. And you want that. But listen to me. The other is, there's this, I want you to think, the grass is greener where you water it as well. A lot of men say, you know, I, I just, I just, I'm not satisfied there. I'm not, because you're never there to water that relationship. 
What you water turns green. In my front yard, I have a sprinkler. So during the uh, summer, um, and I'm sure probably most of your yards had this same problem, it turned brown. I have this yard on, right in front of my house, and I put a sprinkler, and that sprinkler just about hit all the grass. And I was able to save it. But then I've got a small patch of grass, just, just a little, little patch that goes the length of the, the property there on the other side of the driveway, and I didn't have a sprinkler over there. Guess which one is green now? It's all my lawn. It all belongs to me. Guess which one's green? The one I purposely watered. The part that I neglected, you know what I knew was going to happen? If I don't water this patch of grass over here, I knew it was going to turn brown, and I knew it was going to die. Our marriages can be green when we water them. And men, it's your responsibility to water that. Now listen, now I want you to write these things down in your heart, please. Because we're bent, how do I know? How do I know? I want to give you a few things, four things maybe here. These are things, how do I know if I'm neglecting my spouse? And I want you to take these to heart. Number one is this, when you give one word answers to heartfelt questions. Listen, you want to destroy your, 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 your spouse, your men, sometimes we're really bad at this. You, you want to destroy your wife, men. She wants to talk to you, and you give her one-word answers. She wants to know, how was your day? And you say, fine. She says, tell me, what's happening? And you give one, okay. You, you want to hurt your relationship with your spouse? She wants, to, she wants to, to know about you, and she wants to hear how your day was. She wants to hear about your accomplishments. She wants to share her day with you, and you give one-word answers. You're in trouble. 1 Peter 3, 7 talks about honoring your wife by answering her questions and opening your life up to her and sharing with her. Every healthy marriage is when the spouse shares their, their, their life and answers questions and they open up life together and they enjoy the conversation of what's going on in that day that's affecting their marriage. Number two is this, when you hide your feelings giving only facts when forced. You're neglecting your marriage. If there was something that I would say the majority of wives in any counseling that I would do, the majority would say this, I feel like he just shuts me out. And if you cause your wife, husbands, to feel like you just continue to shut them out of your life, you're neglecting your marriage. Wives want to feel like they're a part of it. Men don't want to talk. Wives want to hear about your day. You know what you have to do, men? You have to say, listen, I'm bent. I'm a man, and this is how I normally am. But in order for me to have a healthy, godly relationship, I have got to pour into my wife. I have got to speak. 
Number, number three, how do I know if I have a, I, a uh, marriage I, I'm, I'm hurting or I'm neglecting when you refuse to schedule one-on-one time? Listen to me, listen, and, 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 and I'm, we, we got on the drip, 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 and let me, let me just say, men here, if you're too busy for your wife, you're too busy. If you come home exhausted and your wife gets all the time an exhausted husband that sits on the couch and just tells her how exhausted he is, never spending time with her, you cannot have a healthy marriage. You're neglecting your spouse. I can't do that right now. I'm too busy. When that becomes the norm in your relationship, you're not spending enough time together. It's crushing to a woman not to spend time, especially especially when you have children involved. My wife, she was home. She raised all of our children, stayed home until all of our kids got into school. She talked kid talk all day long. How many of you moms know what I'm talking about? Kid talk all day long. And then another adult comes home and you're like, yes, there's an adult. Just walk through the front door. And the husband says, I'm tired. She says, but I've been talking kid talk all day long. I've been making sandwiches and changing diapers and, 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 and I couldn't wait for you to come home. And you shut them down. There's no one-on-one time. My wife said to me just the other day, yesterday I think it was, we were talking through some of these things and she said, you know what, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. She said, I had, I think she said to me, I had, um, Jacob was a baby in diapers. She was pregnant with Kaylee. Jacob had diarrhea. Don't tell him I told you that, but he did. Michelle had strep throat. She said, I was sick as a dog. I've got strep throat. I got one kid messing diapers. I'm pregnant. I... And she says, I about lost it. I felt so lonely. And she said, I said, where was I? She said, you were at church. And I said, that, Kaylee's 15. That's over 15 years ago. And you still remember that? She says, I'll never forget it because how it made me feel. If there's one area that I failed, if I could change, it would go back, even with young kids, get a babysitter, do something alone with my wife to build that relationship, to build that love, to to build that passion. I've said to Michelle, and we've looked at each other, and we've on purpose had these conversations, I don't want to get my kids out of the house and look at Michelle and say, who are you? Spend one-on-one time. You're neglecting your marriage if you're not spending one-on-one time. Number four, you're neglecting your marriage when you do things that hurt, but you're not sorry. You do things that hurt your marriage, and you're not sorry for it. You're in trouble. You know what the natural response is when somebody hurts me? I hurt them. Listen, if you've been married for any length of time, your spouse has become what you have invested in them. Your spouse has become what you have invested in them. Number five, 
<clears throat> you're neglecting your marriage when you don't bring them good news first. What do you mean by that? I get a promotion, I get a raise, something good happens in life, and on the way home, I call everybody else except my spouse. My brother knows about it, my dad knows about it, my best friend knows about it, my, my, my neighbors know about it, everybody knows about it, and I come home, and my wife is the last to know good news all the time that's happening in my marriage. Listen to me, you know what your spouse wants to know? They want to know good news, and they want to know it first. They don't want to know, well, everybody else knows this. You know what it causes them to feel like? They're not needed. It doesn't matter. I want to know the good news when something good happens. Fill me in on it first. And listen, you say, well, that just seems, I, I just think that seems really needy. No, that is your spouse. That's what you ought to want to do. Share good news with them first and let them know the thrills and the happiness that's happening in your marriage. If you let everybody else know first what you're saying to your spouse is you're not as important as everybody else. Listen here, Proverbs 15. Look there with me, please, Proverbs 15. Everybody with me still? Are you quiet because you're tired? Are you quiet because you're convicted? Or are you quiet because you're being helped? All right, all of the above? Okay. Proverbs 15, 23. The Bible says this, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. In a word spoken in due season, how good is it? Is it? Now, that word man there, his, that's not male. That, is, that could be a, a person. A man, a woman, hath joy by the answer of his or her mouth. In a word spoken in due season, how good is it? You know what that means? Because we're all bent. Not too many words but also not too few words. We need to, in our marriages, in our conversations, we need to have the right things to say. We need to have the right amount of things to say, and we need to say things at the right time. You can say too much at the right time, and it hurts your marriage. You can say not enough at the right time, and it hurts your marriage. The right amount of words at the right time is how you heal. The best place to deal with your, your grievances in a marriage is probably not at a restaurant out in public. You get up, one end up walking away, throwing their, their, their napkin down, flipping the food on you, and you're sitting there with, with a milkshake on you, She's walking out to the car. That was probably not the best time to deal with your grievances. And listen to me. Sometimes we have a good way of doing this as well. I've said what I needed to say. And you say, you know what? You're right. And the spouse says, you know what? I, I got him. And they dig a little bit more. A little bit more. And it feels good. I dug a little bit more. I got, I got, I got a little bit more in there that I needed to get. Oh, I, I, I said everything now. It feels so good. I got it all off my chest, but that little bit more was too much. And instead of helping your marriage heal, you've made it worse. It's the right amount of time. Listen to me. When you're in a disagreement in your marriage, 
Learn when enough is enough. Everything doesn't have to be dealt with that moment. There are some times, listen, the spouse, they're thinking what you're saying. They're, 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 they're internalizing, okay, I'm going to think upon this. I'm going to deal with this. And that right there is the moment that you as a spouse needs to recognize enough has been said. No more needs to be said. A little more prodding doesn't need to be done because a little bit more prodding can bring something now that has aggravated and hurt the situation. It's the right amount of words in the right season. Proverbs 16, verse number 24, the Bible says this, pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healeth health to the bones. How many of you love pleasant words? I do. I love honey as well. We go to Grand Rapids. My wife likes to go there, and she, there's a little, uh, a little honey store there in Grand Rapids, and she, she, um, uh, she, she uses honey for everything. I think, I think there's like honey shampoo and honey chapstick and honey soap, and on one side of the store, it's just like a thousand ways to put honey on your body. And I only want to do one thing with honey. I go on the other side of the store. You men know what I'm at. There's these little white spoons, and you can trial every single bottle of honey down that row. It's incredible. And I found something as well. They've got honeycomb, and you can just chew on that. And so she gets her honey, and then she goes into all these little stores up and down the street there, and I've got my honey. I'm full of all the samples, and I've got this honeycomb I'm chewing on. It's a wonderful thing. You know what they say about honey? Honey is, is, is nurturing to the body. They tell you this, if you have allergies, find honey from bees in that area and you can eat that honey. That would help you with your allergies. I mean, God has really, God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Good. And so when the Bible says here, it says a honeycomb, it's pleasant words. You know what that means? It, it, it's good for you. It's good for your soul and it's good for your body. Listen to me, in your marriage, pleasant words are good for your soul and it's also good for your body. That, that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, that is such a lie. I can't tell you how many people I talked to that said, all the way back 30, 40 years ago, whatever it was in school or in the beginning of my marriage, they said this and they're never able to get over it because it hurt, it wounded so bad. There are some words you can never recover from. It wounded you so much. But the same thing is true with pleasant words. They refresh you. And every marriage ought to strive to bring pleasant, refreshing words because those refreshing words, they help a marriage physically and they also help that soul of that person. And number three, number three, I want you to write this down. Overcoming marriage, number one. No, number, number three, rally when times are toughest. Look with me in Proverbs 17. Rally together when times are toughest. So often, you know what happens in a marriage when things get really bad? They turn on each other. The Bible tells us here in verse number 17 of chapter 17, the Bible says, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, I've heard, I've heard other people say this about this verse and even preach in this verse, that that means this, a friend sticks closer than a brother. A brother is just there to fight you. I don't believe that's what the Bible's saying there. You know what the Bible's saying is there? When you have adversity, your brother's there for you. 
Friend loveth all time. A, a brother that loves you, he's always there. To, he's got your back. He's, he's there for you in all the troubles. And that's how a marriage ought to be. A marriage ought to be that your spouse is there at the toughest times of your life when there's adversity. You know, I know, I know he's got my back. I know she's got my back. Don't let hard times get in between you and your spouse. And listen to me, in those times, what you have to work on, in the toughest times of your marriage, you have to work on communication. There has to be rules of communication when these things are tough. You have to communicate more often. You've got to communicate differently. When there are trials and heartache going on in your, in your life and things are tough, you've got to communicate and so often, listen, I see it so often when hurt comes or trials come or, 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 or something bad, a burden that you're carrying, so often we begin to isolate ourselves from, from the one that's supposed to be there to help us encourage us through. One thing I hear so often from marriages, I hear, boy, we really went through this. We went through a death. We went through a financial problem. We went through a sickness. We went through cancer. We went through something in our life, and they, they, they withdrew themselves from me. That's not healthy. God didn't give you that spouse during your tough times to move from them. He put them in there, your life, to help meet needs while you're going through those trials. In tough times, communicate greater. Look with me in Proverbs chapter number 25. Proverbs chapter 25. In verse number 11, the Bible says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Listen, these are some important words you need to learn in your marriage. During tough times, there's some important words every marriage needs to learn. Number one, that the words are this. You need to learn a word of regret, meaning this, I'm sorry. I felt the coldness of our marriage and I didn't do anything, I'm sorry. This is not an apology. I'm sorry you misunderstood me. That's not an apology. That's saying I'm sorry that you aren't smart like I am. And sometimes we, we, we wrap our apologies in, in hurtful things. Like, I'm sorry that you just don't see it the way I see it. That's not an I'm sorry. That's, you're not on my level. You know, a regret really truly is, in, in every marriage, at some point, you, you, you have to have these. You know what? I'm sorry. I take this. This is mine. I own this. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to do things and put things in place for this not to happen again. I regret this. Number, number two, words of confession. You know what, really, men, sometimes our wife would love to hear, I was wrong. Wives, sometimes our, your husband would like to hear, I was wrong. I was wrong there. Number three, words that should be in every marriage, words that heal in every marriage are words of affection. I, this is a true story. I had a guy say to me, I told my wife 30 years ago when I married her, I loved her, and I told her this. When I change my mind, I'll tell you. He said that to me. I said, so you haven't said I love you in 30 years? I told her 30 years ago I love her, and I haven't changed my mind yet. Well, listen, 
That's foolish. I love you ought to be said so often in a home. So much in your marriage. Those are three words that probably need to be said more than any other words that you speak. I love you. All the time, every day. In, in, in our marriage, we, we practice this. If we ever leave, we ever hang up the phone from each other, we're done talking to each other, we go outside, we, on purpose, we've conditioned ourselves to say these three words, I love you. I love you. You know, along with words of affection, I'm thankful for you. When's the last time you said to your spouse, I'm thankful for you? I'm thankful for you. When God thought of me and made you, he knew exactly what he was doing. I'm thankful for you. When's the last time you thanked your spouse for doing something? We're so good to point out what they don't do. Are we equally good to point out the things that they do do? Proverbs 18.21, the Bible says this in 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can bring death to your relationship or you can bring life to your relationship. And you know how you do that? Through your tongue, through your words. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Number four, there are words that you speak into your marriage, a healthy marriage, words of hope. Words of hope. Listen, we live in a hopeless society. You ought to be speaking words of hope into your relationship. Number five, words of commitment. Along with I love you, you know what words ought to be? I'm committed to you. I don't know how we're gonna get through this. We got, a, we got a bill that has to be paid. We got kids going off to college. We've got a broken down car. We, I, boy, things aren't the toughest. I lost my job, but I don't know how we're gonna get through this, but I do know this. I'm not getting through it without you. We're going through this together. Listen, hear me please. Stop saying words you don't mean. Because if you say them enough, your, your apologies mean nothing. I'll tell you what, if you don't do this, I'm out of here. It's like you can't keep saying those words and thinking you're going to have a healthy marriage. You can't make threats. There's no room for making threats in your marriage you need to take away those threats and fill it with commitment. Listen to me, we're struggling right now, but I'm not going anywhere. Instead of we're struggling right now, and if you don't get this fixed, I'm out of here, or you're out of here. Those are things that can't be said, not in a godly marriage. Number four, how you overcome your marriage by letting go of offenses. Proverbs 19.11 says this, the dis discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. It is his glory to pass over a transgression. A lot of what causes heartache in a marriage is not gross sin. Now, there's some that there it is. It's, it's just gross sin, vile, wicked act, and it destroys the marriage, and, there, and, there, and that happens. But a lot of problems in marriages that's pettiness, fussing here and there, 
not getting over things, poking at things constantly that happened in the past, bringing things up constantly that don't need to be brought up, not letting go of offenses. You know what I realized when Michelle married me 20 years ago? She married a very imperfect man. We talked about that situation with me not being home when she was sick and pregnant and changing diapers. And, and I said to her, I said, man, I was just a lousy husband, wasn't I? And the truth is, I was. But she, when I said that, she followed it up with this, Dave. She said this, but you've gotten so much better. And I want to get better. And I'm so glad that she doesn't look back 20 years because I was a lousy husband. 20. You know why? I didn't, I, I, I didn't have anything figured out then. I was a mess. I really thought that we could just live on love the rest of our life. That's all you need, love. Until cars needed paid and insurance needed to be paid and kids started coming and repairs needed to happen and all this stuff. Love doesn't work right now. If I hold on to everything, every offense, I'm dragging that stuff along with me. I'm never going to be able to go forward because there's too much. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 12, the Bible says, hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sin. Listen, listen, please. When your spouse apologizes, truly deeply apologizes for not being a perfect human being, learn to forgive them. Because when you don't learn to forgive them, you drag baggage into your marriage that will never allow you to move forward. You're holding on to something that now is in the middle of everything. And, 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 and you know what happens? When you get hysterical, you get historical. When you get mad, you bring up everything. You can't win. Remember when you did that? I did, and I was a fool. I'm sorry. I can't fix it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. You'll never go forward by dragging your past along with you. And, and I'm done here. Four, real quick, four bad alternatives to conflict resolution, and I'm done. Four bad alternatives. When I'm in the heat of it, when I'm in the battle, these are not good. Number one is attack. Yeah, but you, just like your mother. What? Yep, you're just like your brother. Yep, it's just, 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 that's who you are. Attack, 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 attack. You don't attack people you love. Number two is retreat. Hide, no talking, separate interest. God created marriage, it's a oneness. There should be separate nothings in your marriage. Your goals ought to be, your, your bedtimes ought to be the same. Your life purpose ought to be the same. And so many people, they get to this marriage and, and everything, nothing is together anymore. Separate bank accounts, they go on vacation separately, they sleep in separate rooms together, they, they drive separate cars, they, they have separate lives. Retreat. Conflict resolution. What we'll do? We'll stay married, we'll just retreat. Number three is we hide. 
I'm busy and I never come around. Horrible. Horrible conflict resolution. And then some get to the place, number four, you know how I'll deal with conflict? I'll just surrender. I give up. I'm not trying anymore. And unfortunately, so many Christian marriages get to the place of just surrender. I'll just, I give up. I'm not even going to try at this marriage. Listen to me, that's not the way God designed your marriage to be. 